goodness, good morning, good afternoon, whatever it is for you, I hope you are having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Today is Friday, March 23rd. I am very excited to be doing a podcast. I am getting over a sinus infection. It's awful. I feel terrible. But nonetheless, I am really excited. I got too many, too many sports things to talk about to not do a show. Oh, my goodness, um, I am so pumped. I want to start today with this because there are a lot of silly criticisms going around all about Baker Mayfield. So right now there are two narratives about Baker Mayfield that are just ridiculous and silly. The first one is people keep comparing Baker Mayfield. Certain people, in fact, keep comparing Baker Mayfield to Johnny Manziel. No, no, stop right there. And the other criticism of Baker Mayfield that's becoming ridiculous is people who are criticizing Baker Mayfield because he's not a great athlete. First of all, Baker Mayfield is a quarterback. A quarterback. Being a quarterback and playing quarterback is not about being a great athlete. Is Tom Brady a great athlete? No, he's not. He can move a little bit in the pocket, but that's it. Watch Tom Brady's combine. Horrendous. Go look at Peyton Manning. Aaron Rodgers, all right athlete. He can move around a little bit. Baker Mayfield's athleticism is not a concern in the slightest. Now, here's what's really driving me nuts, though. What's really driving me crazy is people who are comparing Baker Mayfield and Johnny Manziel. Because there's, there's no comparison. There's nothing, to, there's nothing there. There's no validity to it. But the, the big reason why it's completely ridiculous to make that comparison is that when you compare Baker Mayfield and Johnny Manziel... You gloss over a very, very important detail. Talk about, you know, maybe they're, they're both short. They're both from Texas. Fine. But the way Johnny Manziel plays football is Johnny Manziel made most of his plays outside of the pocket. It was like street ball. Johnny Manziel would either run around and throw the ball downfield or simply tuck the ball and run. Johnny Manziel was not precise and Johnny Manziel did not win games from the pocket. Baker Mayfield, on the other hand, won games from the pocket. Baker Mayfield lit teams up. Baker Mayfield destroyed opponents with his ability to make good decisions, make good reads, make great throws, and beat you from the pocket. That matters a very significant amount. Again, Yes, Baker Mayfield and Johnny Manziel are both shorter dudes. And they're both from Texas, but that is where the comparison ends. After that, there's nothing else. It's silly. It's ridiculous. It's absurd to compare Johnny Manziel and Baker Mayfield. And now I know the thing you're, you're thinking it. I'm thinking everybody has this in the back of their mind. What about the off-the-field issues? Mm, no, Baker Mayfield has... One incident where he had a run-in with the police. And Baker Mayfield had, has a reputation for being maybe um, very competitive is a very, very extremely polite way of putting it. Maybe on the conservative side of saying that. But Baker Mayfield does not have an addiction issue. I, I am a fan of Johnny Manziel. I'm rooting for Johnny Manziel. But Johnny Manziel was a partier in college. We all knew he was a partier in college. He was using, he was on half court. Uh, he was at half court uh, for NBA games in college. How does a college kid get those tickets? I don't know. But Johnny Manziel had the reputation of a partier. And we know now Johnny Manziel had an addiction issue. Baker Mayfield is not there. It's absurd to compare Johnny Manziel and Baker Mayfield. Again, they're both short. They're both from Texas. And that is where the comparison ends. That's it. Now, there is a legitimate concern about Baker Mayfield. If you're going to talk about Baker Mayfield and concerns about Baker Mayfield, don't talk about his athleticism and don't compare him to Johnny Manziel. That's absurd. But arm strength, fair enough. Fair enough. Arm strength is a legitimate concern for Baker Mayfield. He does not have a rocket. He does not have a huge cannon for an arm. And there are questions that come along with that. Can Baker Mayfield play in the snow? Will Baker Mayfield be successful in 
windy conditions. Baker Mayfield's from Texas. He possibly has never thrown a football in the snow. I don't think that's true. I I think they get a little bit of snow in Texas, but it's possible. Baker Mayfield never played in snow. And the worry is, does the snow shock Baker Mayfield when he plays in a game in Buffalo or Cleveland or New York? Will Baker Mayfield struggle because he's never played in conditions and his arm strength isn't strong enough for a windy, snowy game? The point is, if you're going to criticize Baker Mayfield or if you're going to doubt Baker Mayfield, do it for reasons that make sense. His arm strength, that's that's a real one. I, I'm more cautious about Baker Mayfield's arm strength. I, I'm not concerned is not the right way to put that, but it is a a cautionary thing. I, I'm kind of, yeah, he's not my first pick if I'm an AFC North team. If I'm the Browns or the Buffalo Bills, Baker Mayfield is not my first choice of a quarterback because his arm strength isn't amazing. I'd be concerned. Danny Werfel is a quarterback who played at Florida. He won a Heisman Trophy. But Danny Werfel was not a great NFL quarterback because he didn't have a strong enough arm. And the concern, that's a real concern. Are you afraid that Baker Mayfield could end up being like Danny Werfel? That's fair. That's a fair criticism. Another fair criticism of Baker Mayfield is his personality. Hey, Baker Mayfield is not for everyone. I've said Baker Mayfield is kind of like gel deodorant. To some people, that's repulsive. They can't even imagine using gel deodorant. While other people, that's exactly what they need. Baker Mayfield is not for everybody. His personality is not for everybody. And there are concerns about his arm strength. Arm strength, personality. Those are fair criticisms. But comparing Baker Mayfield to Johnny Manziel, talking about Baker Mayfield's athleticism, which is completely irrelevant, those are ridiculous criticisms. Imagine if I said to you, hey, I think your car might break down because your stereo or your speakers aren't very good. No, that's irrelevant. Your speakers are irrelevant to how well your car runs. And athleticism is pretty irrelevant to how well a quarterback can perform in the NFL. It just doesn't matter. Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Drew Brees, not a great revolutionary athlete. Athleticism and a quarterback doesn't matter. So if you're going to criticize or have concerns about Baker Mayfield. Do it for reasons that make sense. Now, the Jets have the number three overall pick, and I've said, you know, Baker Mayfield is probably the third best quarterback in this draft. And and then it would be a reasonable uh, estimation to say, well, if Baker Mayfield is the third best quarterback in this draft, and we assume the first three picks could all be quarterbacks, the Jets might pick Baker Mayfield. I have a counter to that. Again, Arm strength is a real thing to be cautious about when it comes to Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield has a good enough arm in the NFL. So does Case Keenum. Case Keenum does not have an extremely strong arm. Neither does Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield's good enough, but not great. And Baker Mayfield's arm strength is questionable when he's playing in snow or in wind. Conditions like the New York Jets. The Jets division? Buffalo, New England. Miami, sure, but again, New York. And even even if Miami wants to consider bringing Baker Mayfield into their town, remember, you do have to go play in Buffalo and New England and New York. Just saying, the Jets might take Josh Allen. It would not shock me. Because if you're going to play up north in cold, windy games, you want strong, uh, you want a strong arm. And that is what Josh Allen has. A guy from my hometown plays wide receiver for Wyoming. And he has nothing but great things to say about Josh Allen's arm strength. He says the dude has the strongest arm I've ever seen bar none. Not even close. Talks about how Josh Allen has a cannon. Uh, Did I say Baker Mayfield? I meant Josh Allen. Josh Allen has an absolute cannon. I love Josh Allen. I, I think he's a great kid. I think he's a guy I want to lead my program. Great quarterback. But again, arm strength does not win you games. What wins you games as a quarterback is decision-making, the ability to read defenses, things that we did not see consistently enough from Josh Allen. I like Josh Allen. He's got good but not great tape. I don't see enough consistency from his play at Wyoming. And again, 
Josh Allen did not play against great competition. He played against mediocre competition and mediocre defenses. And we still saw him struggle. That's a big concern. So I think the Jets very well could pick Josh Allen. I have no problem with that. But remember, he's not quite ready. He, I believe Josh Allen needs a year on the bench before he's ready to be an NFL starter. So I would not be shocked if the Jets chose Josh Allen. And remember, they have Josh McCown, veteran quarterback for a one-year deal, and they have Teddy Bridgewater on a one-year deal. The Jets don't need to play a quarterback immediately day one, but they do need to get a franchise quarterback. So I think the Jets could pick Josh Allen. I think it would be a good move. I I think it'd be a good move because of his arm strength. Because I do have real concerns. As much as I love Baker Mayfield, I would be cautious because of his arm strength if I'm a Northern team, if I am Cleveland, Buffalo, the Jets. I don't know that I want to play eight to 10 games with Baker Mayfield in the snow, in the wind, that, in, in those weather. So it'd probably be about, what, five, five, six games a year in cold winter, winter, winter conditions because the first half of the year, obviously, is warmer. But still, if I need a clutch throw and it, there's 45-mile-an-hour winds, I know Josh Allen can make that throw. I have questions whether Baker Mayfield can make that throw. Not a knock. I like jo- Baker Mayfield's hand size, which is important. But Josh Allen, that guy can absolutely make throws in windy conditions. So I would not be shocked if the Jets chose Josh Allen rather than Baker Mayfield with a third overall pick. All right, I have a great show today. I'm really, really excited. We're going to talk about Sam Darnold, Saquon Barkley. I have some updated thoughts. I know I talk about the Browns a lot. I have updated thoughts about what the Browns could possibly do with the first overall pick and the fourth overall pick. We're going to talk down the road about Frank Gore. What will the Giants do with the number two overall pick? I have a plan for them. I, I Not even, not for them. I, I, I'm going to tell you what I would do with the number two overall pick. And then I'm going to tell you what I think the Giants could do with the number two overall pick. Where will Indomitian Sue go? I, I have a, a theory and a strong belief. I know where Indomitian Sue is going. We're going to talk about March Madness. We're going to talk about the new NFL catch rule. I have a very, I have a fun show prepared. I'm excited. It's good. A lot of sports stuff. I worked really hard on it. Remember, you can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, on YouTube, everywhere you can find podcasts on Google Play now. If you really have Strong Opinion Sports, subscribe to it. And if you want to help me grow the audience, continue to tell your friends about Strong Opinion Sports. We are growing like crazy. It's awesome. I'm having fun. I I love you guys so much. I, I really... I kind of wish I could shake some of you guys' hands because you guys are so nice to me and it's really cool. Um, And I just, I'm excited. If you like Strong Opinion Sports as much as I do, continue to tell your friends and share this with your friends on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, face-to-face. Share Strong Opinion Sports with your friends. Okay. On Monday night, the Cleveland Cavaliers played the Toronto Raptors. And mind you, remember... Everybody talks all the time about how great the Toronto Raptors are. Woo! The Raptors, the next big team in the NBA. I've heard people say that to me. Okay. So on Monday, the Cavaliers beat the Raptors 132 to 129. It was a competitive game. It was. It was a good game. I watched a little bit of it. I watched the end of it. Fun game, entertaining game, enjoyable to watch. And then you remember, oh, wait, the Cavaliers were shorthanded. The Cavaliers did not have Rodney Hood, a, a big time, not a, not a legendary, not an all-star, definitely, but a, a big scorer for the Cavs. The Cavs also did not have Larry Nance Jr., a guy who's contributed quite a bit with hustle plays, with defense, with offense. He's fun to watch. He's a big part of the Cavs' new revitalized roster. Oh, and by the way... The Cleveland Cavaliers did not have their head coach. Their head coach is taking time off. So I believe the Raptors and the Cavaliers is an interesting series. We're going to see them probably play later down the road. But I do believe the Cavaliers are a better team. The Cavaliers won shorthanded. Now add the, bring the coach back, bring Rodney Hood, bring Larry Nance Jr. The Cavaliers are a better team. 
The Cavaliers are going to... It's it's an interesting series, Cavaliers and Raptors. But the Cavaliers are a better team than the Toronto Raptors. Where am I going with this? The Cleveland Cavaliers are going back to the NBA Finals. That's what's happening. So the other team, the Raptors are not a concern. They're, they're interesting. They're going to compete with the Cavs. But I'm not concerned about the Raptors knocking the Cavs out of the playoffs. So now your next thought goes, okay, what about the Celtics? Okay. We're going to break down the matchup between the Boston Celtics and the Cleveland Cavaliers. Okay, right off the bat, the Celtics have a better head coach. Brad Stevens, I'll take Brad Stevens all day over Ty Lue. 100%. So the Celtics have a better coach. But remember, the NBA is all about stars. It's a star-driven league. So who are the two best stars and the two big stars for the Cavs? And who are the two big stars for the Celtics? Well, the Cavaliers have LeBron James, currently the best player in the world, and Kevin Love. Now, on the other hand, the Celtics have Kyrie Irving, who's injured, and Al Horford. So when you compare the stars, the Celtics win that matchup. So what about role players? I prefer the Cavaliers bench. Guys like Rodney Hood. Larry Nance Jr. to, what do the Celtics have? Jason Tatum, a rookie, who, who's playing well. I mean, he, he's not a bad player at all. I think he had 23 points the other day against the Thunder. He's a good player, but he's still a rookie against LeBron James. So the Celtics are have an injured Kyrie Irving, Al Horford, good player, an all-star, no Kevin Love, and a rookie versus LeBron James, greatest player in the world. Kevin Love, perennial all-star, great shooter against Rodney Hood, J.R. Smith, who can hit threes. Larry Nance Jr. is going to hustle and probably compete very well with Jason Tatum down low. Look, the Cleveland Cavaliers are going back to the NBA Finals. That's that's that. That's what it is. Make, make all kinds of fun stories about the Raptors. The Raptors are coming here. Drake loves the Raptors and Kyrie Irving and the Celtics. No, no, no. They're interesting. The Cavaliers and the Celtics, that's interesting. The Cavaliers and the Raptors, that's an interesting series. But at the end of the day, while I don't think the Cavaliers have any chance to win the finals, whether it's the Rockets or the Warriors, the Cavaliers will be back in the NBA Finals once again. That, I don't think, should be very controversial to say. We've seen drama around the Cavaliers. We have. It's been interesting. So the head coach of the Cavaliers, Ty Lue, had some health issues. He took a step back, said, I'm taking time away from the team. And there's videos out there of LeBron James yelling very heavily at Ty Lue. And everyone's attributing that to maybe why Ty Lue's taking some time off. Again, it's a stressful job coaching LeBron, yada, yada. Here's what I think is happening, though, with the Cavaliers. All the drama, all the stress, everything going on, all the the questions everybody has. Here is why I think there's drama in Cleveland. Anytime you give your two-week notice, the last two weeks are rough. The last two weeks of any job, they're not the same as the first two years, first six months, first year was. The last two weeks of any job, you're distracted. It's hard to focus. You don't really want to be there. Your mind is somewhere else. So I got really lucky. I quit a job once and went to LA and I quit on the spot. I got an unexpected offer and it was good. I never had time to really hate my job. It was, I enjoyed it and then it was over. But once upon a time, I worked at Safeway. I was a dairy manager there and I had a great manager. I I loved my boss. I liked my coworkers. It was a good job. I got paid well. I enjoyed it. And yet when I gave my two-week notice, I suddenly, the job I liked, I suddenly hated because I was excited about what was next and I was distracted and I didn't want to be there. And that is what's going on with LeBron James. LeBron James doesn't hate Cleveland. He doesn't hate Ty Lue. He likes Kevin Love, yada, yada, yada. It's not a bad situation, but LeBron James is leaving Cleveland. And anytime you give your two-week notice, anytime you know This is not your future. You know you're going somewhere else. It's hard to focus at the end. It's just the truth. 
That's why we're seeing all kinds of drama in Cleveland. LeBron James is a guy who's given his two-week notice in Cleveland, and it's just tough to focus. The end of any job, you've done it, I've done it, we've all done it. I've, I started working at 17. I've worked many jobs in my life. I had two jobs in high school. I've worked a lot of jobs in my life. Anytime you leave a job, the end is very difficult. It's just the case. It's reality. We're humans. That's how we operate. If you've never had that problem, I want to bow down to you. That's incredible. But many of my friends, myself, everybody I've talked to, the last two weeks of any job are hard. And LeBron James is a guy who's about to leave his job. And he's just struggling with that anxiety and that knowing there's better stuff coming ahead. I I think he realizes he doesn't have much of a chance to win the NBA Finals. I think LeBron James, all the drama in Cleveland is coming from the fact that LeBron James... He's leaving at the end of the season. All right. <clears throat> I'm going to drink something first. So. Uh, Sam Darnold is about to be the number one overall pick. And I got a cool story for you guys. Because once upon a time, I played catch with the soon-to-be number one overall pick. It's cool. It's exciting. I want to take you guys back to the summer of 2011. I'm in Oakland, California. It is the summer before my senior year of football. So I played quarterback in college. And I'm at, I'm at an event. It's the uh, Elite 11 Regional in Oakland, California. And Trent Dilfer's there. Trent Dilfer, Super Bowl winning quarterback. A ton of big names are going to be at this camp. And I'm going to hopefully prove myself and show I'm a great quarterback that should be invited to the Elite 11. I did not make it. Had a good day, though, I thought. Whatever, regardless. Going into this event, I all I heard about was this guy, Blake Barnett. I've told the story before, but I think it's interesting and still very relevant. I heard there's this dude. He's 6'5". He's got blonde hair, and he's just a beast. This guy, what is his name? Blake Barnett is just this big stud. He's the guy to look for at this camp. So I get there. There's this big dude, tall, fair hair. We're warming up. I'm like, man, this dude's pretty good. And the more I'm throwing this kid, I'm throwing, we're throwing. And everybody at the camp, everybody in this college, it's a, like a small junior college, everybody's there, has their eyes on the guy I'm playing catch with. And I'm like, this, mu- this is, has to be Blake Barnett, right? This has to be Blake Barnett. Lo and behold, Blake Barnett's at the far end with like a hoodie on. He, he, he looked goofy. He had some weird like leggings. I don't remember what he was wearing. It was, he was wearing something goofy. Blake Barnett's way down there. The guy I'm throwing to, in fact, was Sam Darnold. And the whole day I competed against Sam Darnold. And let me tell you guys, this is a weird, weird mix. And a weird thing to say, but you hear stories about Joe Montana. Joe Montana was just California cool. Big moments would come, just not phased. That's Sam Darnold. I competed against Sam Darnold for a whole day. I warmed up with that kid. He's got a crazy mix of poise and calm, yet he's fierce and competitive. This guy is, I don't know how you meet a guy who, who so badly wants to win and so badly wants to beat you. Every throw we're making, we're competing, and yet he's nice, happy to be there. He's humble. I've never seen anything like it, and I just have the utmost belief in Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold is special. There's something about him. I was, I was just around him for like, a, I don't know, four, four, three, four hours. And I just, I was blown away. I, I remember that's the day Sam Darnold was recognized by Trent Dilfer. He got invited to the Elite 11. And I think that's the day everything probably changed for Sam Darnold. And it's cool. I look back in history, I'm like, man, I was there to watch Sam Darnold get recognized by Trent Dilfer. I feel like I, I witnessed history. It was cool. And looking back, man, it's a cool story. But that's Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold is a guy who just elevates everybody around him and is an absolute competitor. So two years ago, USC was in big, big trouble. Their starting quarterback was Max Brown. Max Brown's a Washington guy. I, I, I competed against him. Not competed against him. I, I trained with him every once in a while growing up. Max Brown wasn't working and USC was dead in the water. Max Brown was not working as a quarterback for USC. So what USC did was they put in redshirt freshman quarterback, Sam Darnold. And instantly USC went from a team that was heavily struggling to 
beating Penn State in the Rose Bowl. A Rose Bowl team from nothing. Sam Darnold elevates everybody around him. He elevated USC for two years. USC rode Sam Darnold's back for two entire years. I guess the point of all of this is if anybody can turn around the Cleveland Browns, it is Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold. I have the utmost belief Sam Darnold can turn around the Cleveland Browns. If anybody can, it's that guy I played catch with on that Saturday. I have no doubt. We saw his pro day the other day. I think it was Wednesday. Dominated in the rain. I mean, that's a big question. We worry, you know, Sam Darnold, I think has like 9.25 inch hands. I know I'm a nerd about this crap. And the question is, well, if Sam Darnold goes to Cleveland, can he play in stormy, rainy weather? Uh, Yeah, we saw Sam Darnold has no problem throwing in the rain. Sam Darnold is absolutely the real deal. And again, if anybody can turn around the Cleveland Browns, it is Sam Darnold. I believe in Sam Darnold. I believe he's absolutely deserving of the number one overall pick. And if the Browns do indeed, hopefully, for God's sake, please draft Sam Darnold. I'm very excited for the Cleveland Browns if that is indeed what happens on draft day. So we, we've kind of come to terms that Sam Darnold will be the number one overall pick by the Cleveland Browns. And, and we pretty much believe whether it's the Giants or whether the Giants trade down, the number two overall pick will be a quarterback and the number three overall pick, the Jets are going to pick a quarterback. So with the number four overall pick, the Browns have options, man. The Browns have all kinds of options. And I don't, I don't know, I might be overselling that a little bit. I believe there are two big options, a two decisions, one decision the Browns have to make between two options. The Browns can either draft Saquon Barkley with the number four overall pick, or the Browns can go defense. They can pick Minka Fitzpatrick, Bradley Chubb. I, I like Bradley Chubb, but regardless. Why would the Browns choose a running back? Um, okay, well, I think there's a good argument that would say the Browns don't need a running back. They had Isaiah Crowell, their leading rusher. He left last year, so maybe the Browns need a running back. But then you look, they have Duke Johnson, who's great out of the backfield, catching the ball. And then they, they just signed Carlos Hyde, the running back from the 49ers. Two solid running backs are in Cleveland. Not stars, but contributors. Guys, you can play a significant amount of time and do well. And you would argue, well, you don't need three running backs, do you? Why would the Browns then draft Saquon Barkley? And my philosophy, you're, you're going to like where I'm going with this. I know... Browns fans are mad. They're, they're, they're like, got, they got their pitchforks ready. They're ready to just come after me. How could you say the Browns may not need Saquon Barkley? Hear me out, please. My philosophy has always been draft a quarterback and then build your defense. I think that's the right way and the best way to build a football team. So I, I would draft defense. With the number four overall pick, I'm not drafting Saquon Barkley. I would draft either Minka Fitzpatrick or Bradley Chubb. I would p- pick defense. But if I, if I was a betting man, if I had a gun to my head and I had to make a decision, I would say the Browns probably choose Saquon Barkley with the number four overall pick. That's not what I would do, but I would support that. I would support the Browns drafting Saquon Barkley with the number four overall pick. First of all, I would much rather watch. I'm going to watch every game, every snap the Browns play next year. I would rather watch Saquon Barkley. I'll just be honest. I would rather watch Saquon Barkley than some safety. Because I want to watch a home run hitting, deep threat, not deep threat, you know, but a guy who can gain chunks of yards and just dominate. I would rather watch Saquon Barkley than some safety, Minka Fitzpatrick, or a defensive end. I think it'd be more enjoyable to watch a home run hitting running back. And who has more impact? Is it possible that Saquon Barkley could have more impact than a defensive player? Maybe, maybe not. But I think there's an argument to be had that Saquon Barkley would touch the ball more than a guy like Mika Fitzpatrick or Bradley Chubb. There's a debate there, right? Regardless of whether it's about philosophy, do you think defense is more important than running back? But there is a debate there. Could Saquon Barkley have more of an impact than a defensive player. Again, my philosophy always is get a quarterback, build your defense. 
I would take Bradley Chubb or Minka Fitzpatrick. And people are saying, you know, the Browns don't need a defensive end. You can never have too many great defensive ends. You have Miles Garrett on one side, and then you get Bradley Chubb on the other. That's a terrifying defensive line. The NFL is all about quarterbacks, where you need to either be have a great quarterback. So your primary primary goals in the NFL have a great quarterback, then have guys who can get after the quarterback. You got to pressure a quarterback, and you got to have a quarterback. So in order to be quarterback. Defensive ends and then linemen protecting quarterbacks. Those are the most important positions in all of football, in my opinion. But I would support the Browns going after Saquon Barkley. It's not what I would do, but man, he'd be fun to watch. He, I, I really believe Sam Darnold and Saquon Barkley. Oh my goodness. That's fun. Saquon Barkley doesn't have to be a guy carrying the ball 28 times a game. Because you have two other running backs, Carlos Hyde and what is that? Duke Johnson. You don't need Saquon Barkley every play, but man, you can use him if you want. And he's a great, great athlete who has big play potential. I would support the Browns drafting Saquon Barkley with a number four overall pick. All right, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we're going to talk about March Madness. We're going to discuss the new NFL catch rule. What will the Giants do with the number two overall pick? I have a belief. I think I know what the Giants could do. And I also have a belief. I think I know where Indomitian and Sue is going to go play football next season. And to end the show, we're going to talk about longtime 49er running back. I know that matters to some of you listening. We're going to talk about Frank Gore. You can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube. You can find the full entire hour-long podcast on YouTube. You can also find my best, most interesting clips on YouTube. Tell your friends about Strong Opinion Sports. If you want to help me grow this podcast, tell your friends about this show on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, maybe Reddit, if you understand Reddit. Help me grow Strong Opinion Sports by telling your friends about this show. My name is Zach Schaumler. I will be right back. I just looked on Instagram and I saw that Sam Darnold is at a Joe Rogan performance tonight, which is cool. I knew I loved Sam Darnold already, but anybody who's a fan of Joe Rogan, I'm a fan of too. Um, I got to say, March Madness. March Madness is finally getting interesting. We have names and brands that I recognize, names that I know, names I understand. And when I talk about basketball, I go, oh, that team, finally, teams I can recognize, brands I know, Michigan, Duke, Kansas, Villanova. So I'm invested now. I finally got myself invested in March Madness. Around the Sweet 16, around the Elite Eight, all the pretenders are pretty much weeded out. And now we're watching teams that are talented, that are recognizable by name, and that I care about, that I want to watch play basketball. I'm excited Duke and Kansas play, I think, either tonight or tomorrow. It's fantastic. Or no, so I believe Duke is playing Syracuse right now. They'll play Kansas down the road. But regardless, I'm excited. That's a game I so badly want to see. But I got to tell you, there's one thing that's still driving me nuts about March Madness. And that is that upsets are absolutely overhyped by the media. Just like... Too much. I have fatigue. I am tired of every single upset. Everyone's shocked. They can't believe it. Are you? What? Oh, I can't believe this team won. It's it's just it's just wearing me out. I, I just I can't I can't be surprised and amazed every time a nine seed beats a five seed. I just don't care. I know 16 beat a one, that's a big deal. Fine. But man, too many, too many people are just overhyping every single upset in college basketball this year. It's just, it's too much for me. And it kind of reminds me of, you know, some people, for some people, there are too many superhero movies. There are too many television shows about superhero movies. In fact, in fact, honestly, I think I'm one of those people. I think I kind of fall into that, that realm. I love Green Arrow. Green Arrow, growing up, was my favorite superhero bar none. You knew I was weird, guys. Come on. He's like a knockoff Batman. I loved Oliver Queen. I loved 
Arrow. Arrow was my favorite. Green Arrow was my favorite superhero. And so when Arrow came out on CW, I was pumped. I never missed an episode. And then the CW started doing something that I just grew tired of. They did Arrow on Tuesdays, Flash on Wednesdays, another superhero show on Thursdays, and I just couldn't keep up. I got fatigued. There was too much of it. It was superhero stuff has kind of been overhyped for me. I just, I know they took something I love and they gave me too much of it. And every time I see an article, can you believe this team won? I love upsets. I do. It's fun to see teams that no one expects beat a team that's a, I like underdogs. We all like underdog stories, but they're not surprising. They're not shocking like they used to be. We overhype them. We look for, again, a nine seed beating a five seed. That's not really much of an upset. That's that's not a direct quote. I don't know if that actually happened. But my point is, those small comparisons, we're just taking things that are not that shocking and turning them into these massive overhyped deals. And I'm just tired of it. I'm worn out. It's a problem I have with March Madness. It's just, again, upsets are no longer shocking. I expect them. I expect a team with a bunch of seniors to beat a team of freshmen with an NBA player. I just do. That's what happens. And I just am seeing the media. Every time there's a big upset, it's shocked and surprised, and I'm just not. And I just am tired of it. I'm sick of it. It's just kind of grinding into my soul, and it's just something that's really annoying me about March Madness. Let's talk about the NFL catch rule. Let's talk about... The NFL catch rule. The new rule was proposed last, I guess this week, it's Friday. A new rule was proposed by the NFL, and this could be the new rule. I'm going to read it to you guys. So now for it to be a catch in the NFL, there are three new proponents that are being proposed. You need to have control. You need to have two feet down or a body part. Or you need to make a football move which is a a third step or reaching to extend for a line to gain, reaching for a first down, reaching for the end zone or the ability to perform such an act. So first of all, I like the addition of reaching for line to gain. So that means the Jesse James touchdown when the Pittsburgh Steelers played the New England Patriots, I believe it was in week 15 in the NFL season, that game would, that would have been a touchdown by the Steelers. Because he reached over, then he fumbled. Therefore, he has possession. If he's able to move the ball, he has possession. But I want to focus in on the third part of that. So a football move. Remember, a third step, or reaching for a first down, or a line to gain, or the ability to perform such an act. Now that is interesting to me. I want to hone in on that. Because I interpret that as a direct reference to Des Bryant reaching for the end zone against the Packers in that controversial catch and or Calvin Johnson having a catch, then moving his hand down to brace himself and in the process, the ball coming loose. I interpret that as direct, that quote, the ability to perform such an act, the ability to make a football move. I think I believe and I interpret that as directly written for the Calvin Johnson play and the Des Bryant non-catch. Now, my problem with that, though, is it still leaves something up to interpretation. It's still not black and white. It's still not clear. I'm in an astronomy class right now, and we just hit the topic of Pluto. And there's big, massive debate about Pluto. Is Pluto a planet? Is it a dwarf planet? Is it a small, like, mini planet? Yada, yada. The problem is there's no clear definition of what makes a planet. There's a working definition, but there's not a clear black and white, this is a planet, this is not a planet. Therefore, Pluto is just kind of up in the air. No one really knows. So I think we're headed in the right direction, but I want more clarity. Or if we're going to write something that's ambiguous, left up for interpretation, just tell me the reason we put that in the rule book is because we want it left up to interpretation. That's all you need to say. Now, I want it to be black and white. I want a black and white, clear definition. This is a catch. This is not a catch. But that's never going to happen, and that's not realistic and not reasonable. Because no catch is black and white. No matter how you put it, there's always going to be 
loopholes and things that break the rules and stretch the rules. You can't make a black and white rule because there's always small things that are controversial. Now, what I like about the new rule, even though it leaves something up to interpretation, I think that's actually somewhat a strength of the new proposed rule because it, it widens the scope. It says, if this much was a catch before, so if two feet was a catch before, now four feet of information is a catch. A catch, a window to make it a catch. More catches will be recorded now in the NFL because of this proposed rule if it passes. I like that. I like more catches. You like more catches. I like more catches. I want to see Jesse James catch be a catch. I want to see Des Bryant. I want to see that be a catch. I want to see what Calvin Johnson did years ago against the Bears. I want to see that be a catch. So even though it leaves something up to interpretation, the implied result is we're going to interpret more things as catches. That's good for the NFL. I wish they went out I wish they went out and explicitly said the reason we left something up to interpretation is we want it very clear there nothing's black and white and we want refs to have the ability to say yes that's a catch even though it's controversial when in doubt we want it to be a catch. And I think that's the direction the rule is moving towards. I like that. I like the new proposed NFL catch rule. I do. I think it works. I think it's great. I'm a fan of it. <clears throat> so what do the New York Giants do with the number two overall pick? What do the Giants do with their draft pick? So the Giants need a quarterback, in my opinion. Eli Manning's 37. His, his play is going down rapidly. I would pick a quarterback if I was the Giants. But this is where mock drafts get kind of weird. See, what a mock draft is, in my opinion, the reason why I won't make a mock draft, actually, is because I believe a mock draft is supposed to be a reflection of what your sources are telling you teams will do. So ideally, what I would do with a mock draft is I would talk to the Buccaneers, my source of the Buccaneers, and my source with you know, the, the Giants, and my source of the Browns, and I would hear... What are the, what's the rattling and what do I think is going to happen? What do I think the teams are doing? Now, the lines get blurred because people, some people that make mock drafts make mock drafts based on what they would do versus and compared to what they think the team will do. What you would do is different from what you believe the team will do. That's a problem with mock drafts right now. You see all these ridiculous things. It's like, who did you talk to that you made that made you believe that could possibly be what the Colts are going to do? Who knows? That's ridiculous. The Colts were never going to trade Andrew Luck for the number one overall pick. That was an absurd thing going around for a while. So I, I have two thoughts with the number two overall pick that the Giants could do. We, we're seeing all kinds of reports that maybe the Giants are not going to pick a quarterback. So I think the Giants have two options. There are two things the Giants could do with their draft pick. First, they could pick a quarterback. And I think the other option is I believe they would trade down. Again, I would pick a quarterback. That's option one. But I think option two isn't what the Giants could do. I believe the Giants could trade down in this year's NFL draft. Go from the second pick to like the 15th or the 8th or the 12th. So the Giants just traded for Jason Pierre-Paul a defensive end to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That made rumors circulate. Oh, maybe the Giants are targeting Bradley Chubb with the number two overall pick. Very possible. And we've heard for months that the Giants are not going to pick a quarterback and that they want Saquon Barkley. Again, another possibility. But I truly believe either the Giants are going to pick a quarterback or the Giants are going to trade down in the draft. They're going to trade their pick away. Because right now, the Arizona Cardinals are desperate. And the Buffalo Bills are desperate. If they offer you two ones and a, you know, a bunch of twos or something, I would trade that pick away. Because you can still get, what's the difference between two and eight when you're not picking a quarterback? I don't know. I'm not, not, eh. If you're going to get a bunch of draft picks, something the Giants need. The Giants need a bunch of draft picks. The Giants are a long ways away. They're, they have a lot of work to do on their roster. The number, the, the price for the number two overall pick, I would bet is very high. So I think the Giants either pick a quarterback, something I, I would do, I think they should do. 
But I also believe the other option is if they're not going to pick a quarterback because of how desperate other teams are to get a quarterback, they're going to offer a lot. The Bills are going to offer a lot. The Cardinals are going to offer the Giants a lot for that pick. And so if the Giants aren't going to pick a quarterback, I think they could trade down just because they're going to get offered so much. It's too enticing to sit there if you're not going to take a quarterback. When you're offered two number ones and two number twos or something like that, the Bills are going to give you that. If the Cardinals are going to give you that, man, I think they might trade down. So I think, I think the two options are draft a quarterback or trade down. That's, I think, the two options the Giants are realistically probably going to end up considering. Maybe not now, but come draft day when the Bills are desperate, we'll see. I do want to point something out. What if I had something? I'm like, I love this phone, man. And my friend's like, dude, I'll give you $20,000 for that phone. I'd be like, What's so valuable about this phone? Do you know something I don't? If I'm the Giants and someone's offering me a bunch of draft picks for Josh Rosen, I'm going, man, he's that valuable? What do you know about Josh Rosen that I don't? Maybe we should draft a quarterback. And I would think that would be a wake-up call. If you're getting massive offers, if the Giants are getting massive offers for their draft pick, it's because people realize we need a quarterback. <clears throat> And I just think it'd be weird if the somehow the Giants did not have that realization. Oh, other teams are desperate for a quarterback. Maybe we should get a quarterback. Maybe we should worry about making sure we have the right quarterback in place. Food for thought. All right. I believe I have an idea where Indomitian and Sue will go. So the question is, where is Indomitian and Sue going to sign in free agency? He was released by the Dolphins, and he has a bunch of options. Now, the big news today is, woo, the Jets offered him a ton of money. The Jets are going to give Ndamukong Sue just bucket loads of money to come play with them. <clears throat> now, two days ago, the report was Ndamukong Sue has narrowed down some favorites. The Saints, the Rams, and the Titans. I think just because the Jets are willing to pay Ndamukong Sue a lot, does not necessarily mean he's actually considering them. The report didn't say Ndamukong Sue considering the Jets. The report said Jets offered Ndamukong Sue a lot. I've been seeing reports Ndamukong Sue is seriously considering the Saints, the Rams, and the Titans. So I'm going to go with that. Now, remember, there is a wrinkle to this because Ndamukong Sue traditionally favors money. Traditionally, Ndamukong Sue does not care about anything besides the money. And Dominican Sue wants to get paid a ton of money and isn't really concerned with winning. So I thought it was weird when he we learned what his three favorite teams are. And they were all contenders. The Saints, the Rams, and the Titans. All three playoff teams last year. All teams that I think have a high percentage of making the playoffs again. My question is, did we see a change in philosophy? Are we seeing maybe Ndamukong Sue is realizing, hey, I want to win rather than take a lot of money. Look, if Ndamukong Sue is going to sell out and take a bunch of money, he's just going to go to the Jets. But I don't know that that's, I don't know that that's the case anymore. I think Ndamukong Sue might have changed his philosophy. He might be saying, look, I got a couple of years left. I got a lot of money. I'm going to make a lot of money no matter where I go. What's, what's five extra million if I don't have a chance to compete for a Super Bowl? I believe Ndamukong Sue is going to go to the Rams. First of all, we've heard reports that Ndamukong Sue is very excited with at the opportunity to play with Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald is the other defensive tackle for the Rams. So if the Rams got Ndamukong Sue, their defensive line would have Aaron Donald and Ndamukong Sue both as interior defensive linemen. That's terrifying. I shouldn't have to tell you, by the way, when you work with good people... Your job is easier. So the Rams would dominate everybody. Who are they? Who are you going to guard, man? Aaron Donald or Ndamukong Sue? That's terrifying. NFC West is scary enough. The, the Rams' defense is scary enough as it is. Now, Ndamukong Sue is from Portland, which is on the West Coast. Some people are speculating, yeah, maybe L.A. is the spot for Ndamukong Sue because he can be close to home. I, I don't buy that, actually. Now, Ndamukong Sue chose to go to college in Nebraska. If you notice, Nebraska and Portland are very far apart. 
I don't I don't know that Dominican Sue really cares about being close to Portland. I really don't. But I do believe the Rams are the favorite to get in Dominican Sue because his job is going to be easier. He'll work with better people. And in Dominican Sue, if he goes to the Rams, between the Rams, the Saints, and the Titans, I think the Rams with Dominican Sue have the best chance of winning a Super Bowl. I think Dominican Sue is going to choose the Rams because he's look, he's like, man, I can make a lot of money or just a little bit less than a lot of money and have a chance at a Super Bowl. And I think Dominican Sue, he's coming to the end and he wants a chance at a Super Bowl. He played for the the Lions for years. He played for the Dolphins. This guy's never been on a competitive team that really had a chance at a Super Bowl. I think the Rams are enticing to Dominican Sue. If I had to, if I'm a betting man, getting gun to my head, I always say that. I'm betting that Dominican Sue will choose the Rams. Time will tell. I mean, by the time this video goes out, he might have already chosen a spot. This this very easily could be dated the minute I put this out, but I actually believe, I honestly believe, Indomitian Sioux is going to go to the LA Rams. Watch out, NFC, man. If that happens, the Rams are a Super Bowl favorite. They are terrifying to play. All right. Here's the last comment of the day. Last thing I want to talk about. Uh, a guy on YouTube, Jabari Owens. I think it was Jabari Owens. I, I love everybody in the community on YouTube. You guys are fantastic. Jabari, I love your comments, man. I was excited. He gave a comment. He asked this question. So from the comment section on YouTube, I got the question. Do you think Frank Gore is one of the best running backs of all time? I thought it was a very interesting debate. I thought it was a fun topic to talk about. So I wanted to break it down. Is Frank Gore one of the best running backs of all time? Is he is he up there? Is he maybe a Hall of Famer? I want to dive into Frank Gore's stats. Let's talk about that. So by the way, Frank Gore just got signed by the Miami Dolphins, and he's not done. His career isn't over. He's still going to rack up a, a, a couple more yards, a couple more touchdowns maybe. Probably hurt his average yards per game, but that's just how it is. That's what happens when you play in your later years. So right now, Frank Gore has 14,026 yards, rushing 77 touchdowns, and he averages 4.3 yards per carry. Another interesting thought is his receiving yards. His receiving yards, he has 3,672, 443 catches, and 17 touchdowns receiving. I'm going to make stats interesting, I promise you. I know it's hard to listen to. I'm going to make you care about stats right now. So my immediate thought was, well, let's compare Frank Gore to Adrian Peterson. And right off the bat, Frank Gore blows Adrian Peterson out of the water despite playing for years on bad teams. Frank Gore has 14,000 yards rushing. Adrian Peterson only has 12. Now, Adrian Peterson does have more touchdowns, 99 to 77, and he does average 4.8 yards per carry. But he's a far, Frank Gore is a far superior receiver to Adrian Peterson. AP only has 2,000 yards receiving, five touchdowns, and 252 catches receiving. The takeaway is, look, Frank Gore is a much better running back than Adrian Peterson was. They're, neither of them are done, but if we compare their stats right now, Frank Gore's got a way better career. Worse teams. More yards, a better receiver. Now, fewer touchdowns, but who cares? He has way more receiving touchdowns. Frank Gore's a better running back on paper than Adrian Peterson. Again, remember, neither of them are done playing, but I thought it was an interesting comparison. So let's compare them to people that are done playing and are Hall of Famers. This is really the test. Should Frank Gore be a Hall of Famer? I thought we should compare them, compare him to Emmett Smith, Marcus Allen, Barry Sanders, and Eric Dickerson. Now, Emmett Smith has 18,355 yards rushing. That's unbelievable. 164 touchdowns. So Emmett Smith blows Frank Gore out of the water. Not even close. And Marcus Allen. Now, Marcus Allen is comparable. Marcus Allen has only 12,000 yards rushing. Now, 123 touchdowns, which is far more than Frank Gore. And he has better numbers receiving. Marcus Allen has 587 catches. 5,411 yards and 21 receiving touchdowns. So Marcus Allen and Emmett Smith both have better stats objectively than Frank Gore. 
The only stat that Marcus Allen does not beat Frank Gorin is all-time rushing yards. Now Barry Allen has better stats. Barry, Barry Barry Allen Barry Sanders <laughs> Barry Sanders has better stats than Frank Gore as well. Fifteen thousand yards rushing, five yards per carry, five point oh. That's crazy. Ninety nine touchdowns, a few less receiving numbers. But remember Barry Sanders, not Allen. Barry Sanders retired early, and then you come to Eric Dickerson. Now Eric Dickerson is probably the closest comparison to Frank Gore. <laughs> Although, remember, Eric Dickerson did play in a different era. So if you look at Frank Gore, 14,000 yards rushing. Eric Dickerson at 13, 259 yards rushing. 90 touchdowns to 77. And significantly less receiving numbers. Only 2,000 yards receiving. Only 281 catches and 6 touchdowns. So where does Frank Gore rank against Hall of Famers? Well, three of the four I compared him to. Emmett Smith, Marcus Allen, and Barry Sanders have far better numbers than Frank Gore. Now, Frank Gore is comparable to Eric Dickerson. What is the takeaway from all of this? As it stands, right now in the Hall of Fame discussion, I would say that there's an argument to be made that Frank Gore could be a Hall of Famer, but he's right on the bubble. He's not clearly a Hall of Famer. And if you're not clearly a Hall of Famer, I don't think you are a Hall of Famer. If it's not 100% you should be, then it's nah. Now, I think similar to Carson Palmer, I, I think Frank Gore is a bubble guy. He's not quite a Hall of Famer. Carson Palmer is a guy with, he's a great player, great stats, not a Hall of Famer. And that's exactly where I would put Frank Gore. You can tell the NFL story and completely leave Frank Gore out of it. You talk about back in the day. You talk about Marcus Allen. You talk about Emmett Smith and his Super Bowls. You talk about Barry Sanders. He's a legend. Talk about Eric Dickerson and his success in L.A. Frank Gore, it's easy to forget. That's not fair. I know that's not fair. Life isn't fair, though. And maybe maybe it's my fault. Maybe I am just far too conservative when it comes to putting people in the Hall of Fame. I am aware that I'm stingy, man. If you're not... 100% without a doubt a Hall of Famer. I'm not putting you in the Hall of Fame. Like, who just retired? What's that guy's name? Uh, Joe Thomas just retired. Without a doubt, Hall of Famer tomorrow. I don't feel the same way about Frank Gore. His stats, he's middle of the pack, bottom kind of bubble guy. Again, I think Frank Gore is close to the Hall of Fame. He's right in the same spot as Carson Palmer. You get honorable mention, you're on the bubble, but Frank Gore currently, as it stands, is not a Hall of Famer. Remember, he's got years left to prove himself. But right now, Frank Gore is not a Hall of Famer. Now, the fact that he's even in the discussion, that says it all. I mean, Frank Gore, utmost respect. I like Frank Gore. I think his, I mean, his numbers, he's better than Adrian Peterson uh, like by far. And he played on worse teams over the years. I mean, Adrian Peter, Frank Gore is just, I have the utmost respect. When I put out this video, it's going to say Frank Gore is not a Hall of Famer. And the fact that we're even having that conversation is completely a testament to Frank Gore. He is up there with all-time running backs. He's not a Hall of Famer, but he's on the bubble. He's in the discussion. Utmost respect, man. Frank Gore, I didn't know how impressed I would be until I looked at his numbers. I was like, man, Frank Gore? Wow. I didn't realize. I didn't, I didn't, you forget him. You don't realize how good his numbers actually are. He's not a Hall of Famer, but he's a great running back, and he's pretty dang close. My name is Zach Schaumler. That is all I have for today. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate you guys. We're growing like crazy on YouTube, so continue to tell your friends about Strong Opinion Sports. I'll be back Monday. I'm going to record it on Sunday night, post it Monday morning, because all day Monday I'm filming an event. We'll be back to normal schedule on Wednesday. I'm ex- so I guess the point of that is if there's a big breaking story on Monday, it will not be in the show. I'm sorry. We'll talk about that. Whatever that story is, we'll talk about it on Wednesday. I'm excited though, man. It's going to be a great, great weekend. Um, I'm going to do a uh, record a different episode of a different podcast. It's just, it's just, I'm excited. There's good stuff coming. If you like strong opinion sports as much as I do, you can subscribe to strong opinion sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, at Google play, and on YouTube. Tell your friends about Strong Opinion Sports. 
If you want to help me grow this podcast, share this with your friends. Tell your friends about Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube. Help me grow Strong Opinion Sports by telling your friends about this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. God, I appreciate you guys so much. I would love to, man, shake your hands. I don't know if you guys would want that, but I, I just, I'm grateful for you guys. I appreciate you guys. I love you guys. I love your comments, man. It's cool to get your guys' support. And uh, I will talk to you guys again on Monday. But um bum bam, we are done.